pursued or aerial housetop and vice versa, I have thwarted the malevolent machinations of our scurrilous enemies. In short, I have arrived. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. When we have watched all of the movies in a particular year, we will tell you if the Academy chose correctly and why. This week, we are continuing 1935's nominees with a movie we will actually talk about, David Copperfield. Really put me on the spot. We have to, now we have to talk about it. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Susan Raslin. I'm your other host. I'm David Daw. Uh, so David, yeah, we do have to actually talk about it. We promised last week. You specifically <laughs> promised. And honestly, this movie is like, it's fine. Like, I, there's, there's no reason not to talk about this movie, <laughs> but there is also no reason to talk about this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's, I, I, that boy, is it long. And it's such an adaptation of David Copperfield that like it opens with you looking at the first page of David Copperfield and seeing that chapter one is called I am born. And apparently every subsequent chapter of David Copperfield is called a bunch of shit just happens to me because that's the whole rest of the fucking movie. I haven't actually read David Copperfield. I, the only Dickens I've ever read is Great Expectations. So I wasn't entirely certain what to expect from this movie. And it's really, really syrupy sentimental. More so in the first half when he's a kid, which I guess like, I don't know if that makes sense from the perspective of being a child or if it just makes sense from the perspective of adults making a movie about a child. I think it's kind of tough to thread the needle of making a movie out of a lot of Dickens stuff, which is the thing I texted you about for like a, a bunch of reasons. Like one is I don't think the dialogue in Dickens novels works particularly well when said out loud. I think the cadence of it is just weird and you end up going just like what human talks like this? Answer, none. I also think that the tone of Dickens novels is really hard to get right because it's a very they're very dark they're extreme it's an extremely dark opening third of a novel with a small child and like you can sort of hide that with sort of point of view and a lot of literary tricks in a way that you can't on screen really i also just think like we said at the end of last week that jackie cooper almost played young david copperfield and then right scheduling conflicts um but like God, this movie could have used a Jackie Cooper. I totally agree. The kid in it is, like, fine. He's not, like, a bad actor, but he also doesn't really do the sort of Jackie Cooper... <laughs> Jackie Cooper is one of those actors that just, like, always looks like they got something going on behind their eyes, you know? And, like, a David Copperfield that always looks like they've got a plan really helps soften the blow of the actual physical child abuse in the opening third of this movie. Yeah, yeah. This kid is very good at being a child you don't want to see hurt who gets hurt a lot, and that's about it. Oh! <laughs> that that kind of just broke my heart. Freddie Bartholomew is, yeah, he is definitely, like, he's very sweet. 
You definitely don't want anything bad to happen to him. But he lacks kind of the resilience, I guess, that Jackie Cooper does. Like in The Champ, and in that last scene when he totally loses it when he finds out that the champ is dead, there is a level of grief there that is so complex and really heartrending that Freddie Bartholomew does not bring to his experiences as David Copperfield in this. It's just, he screams and he cries when he's upset, but the stuff with his mom is really sort of weird and complicated and I think would have benefited from Jackie Cooper, who was apparently, like, the most precocious child actor who ever lived. Yeah. (laughs) And to be fair to Freddie Bartholomew, Frank Lawton, who plays adult David Copperfield, is like, I spent way more time going, like, who's this motherfucker? (laughs) Than I did with Freddie Bartholomew, who I think objectively has, like, a harder role in young David Copperfield. And is there for more of the movie. But just like adult David Copperfield is just there (laughs) in a way that is, I guess, kind of true to the novel, but also is like definitely gives you this feeling unlike this, you know, precocious child that's running around of just like, why is everybody fucking crowded around this guy and talks about him like he's hot shit? He's the most boring man on earth. (laughs) Uh, adult David Copperfield is like Alice in Alice in Wonderland. He's the title character. He's the center of all of the action, but he is the eye of the storm. There's not a lot that's going on there. And all of the interesting things are the people around him and the characters that have a lot of life and personality are the ones that surround adult David Copperfield. I guess we should talk about the plot of this movie, but it's like, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's also like, it's David Copperfield, but like. Yeah, but you say that. And like, for me, that's, that's an actor who has a stage show in Vegas is my like first (sighs) reference for David Copperfield. Yeah, that's fair. But I I am like, (laughs) I mean, spoiler alert, my advice at the end of the podcast is like, go read the book. Don't watch this movie. Have you read the book? Uh, yeah, I I had to in high school. I liked it more than Great Expectations, but I also just, like, I've never been huge on Dickens. As a prose writer, he is very talented, but I just don't think, um, I don't think the format he wrote in translates especially well to novels and makes them kind of boring to me for boring structure nerd reasons that we don't need to get into. Why do we not need to get into structure? (laughs) That's like our favorite thing to talk about. I just, I think that like the weekly cliffhanger thing makes it like you're shotgunning a Netflix show that didn't necessarily like plan for you to do that. It makes it so there's just this regular, like, sense that, like, shit is happening, but the shit doesn't always feel connected to other stuff. So when you read it really fast, you are just like, wait, what happened again? What, who is this person? Why are they here? Um, and that definitely translates over to this film. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, looking <laughs> at the cast list, I'm, I'm sitting here going, wait, who the fuck was that person? Maureen O'Sullivan, who I am totally familiar with, Lionel Barrymore, who I'm totally familiar with, are in this movie. Do I remember who they played at all? I do not. No. At least not by the name, anyway. 
Well, so in case you don't want to read 624 pages of Dickens, the very, very short version of David Copperfield is this. David Copperfield is born to a very young mother who was widowed while pregnant. His mom is like, at least as far as I can tell in this movie, 15. But not not really, but she's really young and very childlike. Naive is putting it lightly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, incredibly beautiful like a porcelain doll but also seems to have most of the human characteristics of a porcelain doll (laughs) yeah and he has an aunt who kind of participates in his upbringing his mom gets remarried to this guy who is a total bastard and clearly doesn't like kids at all and He and his sister move into the house with the mom. David's new stepdad is a horrible monster who beats him. And he goes and lives with, like, the maid's family? I wasn't quite sure what... No, they just lock him in the attic. They lock him in the attic for, like, (laughs) for for Dickensian bingo. (laughs) Yeah, really. Then the mom dies and you shout bingo. (laughs) We haven't already uh, reached Dickensian and Bingo. You've got to get a line of five. No, David Copperfield gets there real fast. Like then he gets sent to work in a in a wine cellar. Yeah, it's ex- or wine distributor. It's extremely unclear what. Uh, God, I forget that character's name because everybody's character's name is so fucking ridiculous in David Copperfield. And and to be fair, in most Dickens, he loves to give people, like, really obvious names. Mr. Micawber. Like, Murdstone is the stepdad. Yeah, Mr. Micawber, who is played by W.C. Fields. Yeah. It's the only movie where W.C. Fields does not ad-lib. And apparently he wanted to add a juggling sequence, but was denied. And he wanted to tell an anecdote about snakes, which was also denied by the director. (laughs) Okay, I want to state for the record, I don't know about the snake anecdote, but this movie definitely could have used a random juggling scene. Yeah, oh, absolutely. (laughs) I really think it would have helped. And I think it would have been totally in character for W.C. Fields' Mr. Macabre to just, like, randomly start juggling. Yeah, one of the weird things about the ending... Can we cut out the, like, 14 subplots and just do, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes to work way too young, and then he, like, runs away to... His aunt. And then, uh, and and he's, like, crying, and he has this very emotional scene where he says, you know, I, I was beaten and locked in the attic and made to work at work that was totally inappropriate for me... Which I think is actually the way that he phrases it, is work that was totally inappropriate. And I'm like, aren't you six or something? (laughs) And that's the scene really where you're like, this is where we need Jackie Cooper. Because the kid just sounds like he is whining. And like what he's experienced is absolutely horrible. But it somehow comes off like he's making a list of things like... I had to go to school, and then they gave me a bunch of homework, and, and my teddy bear got dirty. And you're like... Yeah, there's a disconnect here between the words that you were saying and the level of hurt that you're expressing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, like, it comes off as him lying, even though you have just watched all of that happen to him. Right, right. Like, it comes off as like, oh, nobody's gonna believe that. Like, really, give 
give it a little, kid. (laughs) But anyway, the aunt does believe it because that's what happens in the book. (laughs) And his life gets better. The aunt tells off the terrible, abusive stepfather, which is extremely satisfying, but not as satisfying as if they gouged out his eyes like I wanted. Oh, God, he was so fucking evil, too. Yeah. I mean, like, Basil Rathbone who has a supervillain's name as an actor, Yeah, was absolutely... I mean, hell, you could have just changed the name of the character to Basil Rathbone, and I would have been like, yep, that's an evil fuck. I was about to say, like, (laughs) Dickens has got to have been kicking himself, like, fucking why didn't I come up with that? Shit, Basil (laughs) Rathbone's such a good Dickensian villain name. I mean, really, he is totally a Dickensian (laughs) villain, and he, like... Absolutely looks the part because he's so austere and aristocratic looking, but in the like super evil way. <laughs> <laughs> he's like if you took everything about oh, what is his name who plays Loki? Oh, in the yes. Why am I blanking on his name? Ah, uh... <laughs> Taylor Swift's most just for the PR boyfriend. <laughs> Taylor Swift's most for the PR boyfriend. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is now your name. Tom Hiddleston. God, why? Tom Hiddleston, yeah. Why did that? Anyway. If you took everything about Tom Hiddleston that is that, like, austere English aristocrat look, and then just, like, eviled it up a lot more, that is Basil Rathbone's face. Yeah. Because it's, like, all cheekbones and, like, the long nose, but instead of his eyes being, like, sort of warm and friendly, they're cold and dead. (laughs) Yeah, and he gets he gets told off by the aunt and does the went I'm not owned I'm not owned as I slowly shrink into a corncob tweet <laughs> and disappears from the film and then we kind of skip to adult David Copperfield and then we're just kind of like in the fucking open world side quest portion of David Copperfield like there's just all this random shit happens And I guess the two we should probably actually spend some time on are his wife and Uriah Heep. Yes. Because those are the ones that the end of the movie wants you to care about, even the tiniest bit. Right. David meets a very pretty girl at the opera. Played by Maureen O'Sullivan. And based upon the fact that she's very pretty and absolutely nothing else, like even within the text, absolutely nothing else decides to marry her. They are not happily married, and the movie goes to great lengths to let you know that's because she's a fucking idiot, and it's really offensive how stupid she is portrayed, actually. Which is such a tragedy, too, that they cast Maureen O'Sullivan in that role, because she was Dot Wynan in The Thin Man, and she is, like, one of the sharpest, sparkiest actors of ever. And to give her this nothing role where I think she has like five lines. I mean, she has absolutely no existence other than to be, you know, his tragically simple wife. And also the ways the movie makes her stupid don't make any sense. Like, he needs to find his account book. And when he does, she's just decided to use it to draw doodles. Which is a thing a a four-year-old would do. Yeah. Just the way she is stupid vacillates so wildly and so insultingly, and it's such a waste of time. And then, like, luckily for David, she dies of Victorian wasting disease. She dies of the doctor giving a solemn nod and going, nope, which is one of the leading causes of death in the 19th century. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the book, she apparently has a miscarriage. And then eventually dies. 
Also, I find it fascinating that Dickens named his child after her and the child died the following year when she was eight months old. And it's like, dude, you wrote this character. Don't don't curse your child with the dying girl's name. Yeah. <laughs> name her after the girl who lived. Y- yeah. The- <laughs> Not to confuse you all and make you think that we're talking about a gender flipped version of Harry Potter, though that would be great. Call us. Yeah. <laughs> But the the other um, the the end of that plotline, which I don't believe is in the book either, is the reveal that oh, what's her name, D- David's childhood friend that he eventually marries, Agnes Wickfield. That the last thing Dora, his first wife, does before she dies is call in Agnes and go like, "You have to marry my husband." So it's definitely cool when you guys fuck. <laughs> And like, I don't, I don't remember, it was a long ass time ago, but I don't remember that from the book. It definitely feels like a thing the studio did. It definitely feels like Dora really got the short end of the stick because all the studio notes were about how like, David should never be the one who is blamed or in any way responsible for the bad decision of marrying this woman. Everything should work out so that it's her (laughs) fault. For being boring, simple, and dead. And also that she actually wants him to get remarried so that there is nothing morally complicated about that whatsoever. Which, again, I don't think is in the novel. But the other plotline that we sort of deal with at the end of the film is Uriah Heep, who is the scheming secretary of the, I guess, banker that David works with for a job when his aunt makes him work as a child, but it's the good kind of child labor that time. It's work that's totally appropriate for him. (laughs) Yes. I know I definitely want to have children handling my money. But Agnes Wickfield's father, Mr. Wickfield, has this secretary, Uriah Heep, who over the course of decades, schemes his way into power. And who is played somehow by an actor who had seen the 1970s version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, it is kind of uncanny. The guy who plays Uriah Heep looks remarkably like Gene Wilder. And acts remarkably like Gene Wilder. If Willy Wonka had been beaten down by the world to the point where he had no, like, sweet candy core anymore, (laughs) that is Uriah Heep. The thing I was going to say is uh, Roland Young, the guy who plays him, doesn't look like Gene Wilder in other movies. Like, he doesn't have that hair. That hair is not like a thing he does. It's just in this movie, and it's very strange. Has he been in anything else that we've seen, or... Oh, he was in One Hour With You! (laughs) Was he? He was, in fact. Who was he in One Hour With You? Oh, he was Professor Olivier. Yeah, see... (laughs) He he was Mitzi's long-suffering wife. Uh, Or husband. (laughs) No, long-suffering wife is correct with Mitzi. (laughs) Somehow... Somehow, uh, Mitzi is Mitzi makes him exactly a long-suffering wife archetype. He hardly has any hair at all in One Hour with You, which is three years before this movie, and yet he has this like full head of Willy Wonka-esque hair. Anyway, you can tell how engaged we were by the actual plotline of the Uriah Heep thing. <laughs> it honestly is just 
kind of an excuse for there to be a moral quandary for W.C. Fields' character, for Mr. Micawber, because Mr. Micawber gets kind of tied up with Uriah Heep's scheming, and then at the very end takes a big moral stance to save the aristocracy and tell Uriah Heep to fuck off, which is complicated. Uh, yeah. But it is portrayed as the happy ending of the movie. The weird thing about the back half of this movie is that David Copperfield is such a passive character in every single plot line. And there's like three more plot lines to the adult David Copperfield part of this film. And in all of them, he just kind of stands there and goes, what's happening? Oh, they're dead. Fuck. And like, <laughs> and people tell him things and he goes, Huh. But nobody, like, ever blames him or makes him do anything. <laughs> they just kind of come along and tell him what's up, and he goes, huh, gotta go. He's really kind of wasted, I think, in this movie, because I felt this way about him in Cavalcade as well, because he's the younger brother in Cavalcade. And Yeah, I was about to say, which Edward is he again? Yeah, he's... <laughs> he's Edward too. Okay. He's a good-looking guy and is just completely wasted in this role where all he does is sort of, like, lean on things jovially with his other hand on his hip and smile. When you get to the, like, showing Uriah Heep to be a schemer scene, you're like, this is what it was building to? And also, like, everything that happens in that scene had no build-up whatsoever. David just declares things and everyone goes, yeah! And it's a very strange, like, capstone as a capstone of the movie. But I guess it's the thing that he is the most active character in. I don't know. This movie makes a lot of weird choices when it does deviate from the book, which it doesn't do a ton. It just sort of moves some stuff around. But, like, I would just more cut some stuff. Like, this movie seems to really want to, one, take out anything that makes David Copperfield seem like a complicated or bad person, and two, to really make it a grand love story, which I guess it, the novel is the last thing. It feels ex even more tacked on in this when he gets together with Agnes at the end of the movie. <laughs> As just like, this is a thing that had to happen because we spent a lot of time on it. You don't even see that much interaction between them. It's usually just Agnes is talking to somebody and is raving about how wonderful David is. And he publishes a book and dedicates it to his darling whatever. And then his friends are like, oh, it's obviously you. And then he marries the other chick who dies of Victorian wasting disease instead. And she's like, oh, well, that's a bummer. But of course, because she is a perfect Victorian lady, takes it all in stride and continues to be friends with him instead of being like, you know, maybe I should cut this person out of my life that I've been in love with since I was like five or whatever. No, she just she just hangs on until that Victorian wasting disease gets her what she wants. <laughs> Yeah. I guess, you know, if you live in a time where life expectancy is that low, that's, I guess that's a strategy. <laughs> yep. Like, oh yeah, we'll get married when we're older. Like, 29. <laughs> I'm definitely a spinster if I make it to 30 and nobody's married me. But, like, sometimes you gotta roll the hard six and just hope the first wife dies, you know? <laughs> 
And apparently that happens often enough, so... Yeah, I think in the book she just marries somebody else and then that person dies and they get together much older. But in the movie, she seemingly just waits around for him until he finally gets his shit together at the end of the film. Which seems to be like a month and a half after his wife of maybe a year dies. Yeah, Hey everybody, it's David again, here to ask you to like, subscribe, and review us on iTunes. All that stuff goes into the metric special sauce that Apple uses to determine what podcasts get promoted and shown to people. And that's how Serial got started. It was just that. A lot of people reviewed it, and then it was like, when's Serial Season 2? And like, it'd be great if they did that for us. That's the only thing standing in our way. You guys like subscribing, reviewing, also in-depth reporting, and a big push from NPR. Should we rate this movie? Uh, uh, sure, that, I mean, that's certainly jumping right into it. Well, I mean, I just, I don't, it's fine. Like, that's the thing about this movie is, like, I can talk about it, but I kind of don't want to, and not because it's bad and I think it's, like, unworthy of our, our attention. It's kind of just like, yeah, this, this happened it's very long, too, is the thing that I think leaves me with that sense of like, you know, I've spent enough of my life on this film. Like, should can we just rate it? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I don't think that I... I, don't, I, I feel like I've, I've talked about it in a way that makes it seem like I really disliked this movie. And I have to say, even as long as it was, I wasn't... I wasn't bored, but I was often lost. I, yeah. Because there were so many characters and so many different plot threads. And I think that what you were saying about how they should have cut stuff instead of trying to like pack it all in, it definitely suffers from too faithful adaptation disease. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely like one of the very earliest the book was better than the like movie. Yeah, because it tries to shove all of the incidences uh into it but not without like having the character development that comes from reading a book it's like just put all of the anecdotes in and because there's no time that's spent with david copperfield on his own and we don't have any perspective on his thoughts which the book is told in first person he seems to be this very passive very like nothing character He's the, he's the eye of the storm around which all of the other shit happens. And yet he's like the most beloved of absolutely everybody other than his evil villain stepfather and step aunt. And, and Uriah Heep, who obviously doesn't like him, but is like very simpering and sucks up to him all the time. Yeah. Because everybody else loves David. I mean, I love you, David. But I don't love David Copperfield. <laughs> no, I don't either. And I I think, like, I'm going to be pretty generous on rating this movie. I'm not going to... I, I, I'm certainly not going to say it's, like, a complete cinematic success or anything. I'm not, like, bummed it didn't win Best Picture. But, like, I'm not going to give it a three or something. Like, currently I'm thinking, like, six? Um... Because it's, it's... Okay, yeah. It's fine. It's really, it's really a little better than fine. But it also is just like, it's, 
you know, it's that same, I think I've told you that I have never, I have not gone to see Avengers Infinity War, because every time I think about seeing Infinity War, I'm like, two hours and 35 minutes, huh? That's a, that's a while. That's, that's several times. Um, and like, that's kind of how I feel about this movie is like, it's fine. Is it two hours and 10 minutes of my life fine? I don't think so. I really don't know, because I feel like if I had read David Copperfield already, if I was like a huge Dickens fan, like this might feel like something that was worth my time. But because I'm not, and because I haven't read David Copperfield, I spent more time with this movie than even the length of the movie, because I kept having to back up and be like, wait, who is this random white person now? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely, like, I think this is one of those screen test of time things of like, don't we have to judge it based on just the movie in front of us? Like, yes, David Copperfield is significantly more famous source material than Lives of a Bengal Lancer. But if I have to go read Lives of a Bengal Lancer to (laughs) contextualize that film, I will quit this podcast. So, like, I... I... And you wouldn't have to anyway, because the book apparently is in no way like the movie. Right. The only thing they have in common is the name of the book and the name of the film. Right. So, I, but I think, like, just as a movie, I think the fact that the back half just feels like, and then a bunch of stuff happens. See, I felt like the first half felt that way, too. (laughs) Yeah, no, it did. I, there, you really lose a narrative through line. I was trying to give it the credit of, like, until he gets to his aunt's house. But no, not really. It really just feels like a bunch of, like, a bunch of stuff. And for two hours, like, you should be able to put in a, a strong story in a two-hour movie. And the only reason that they didn't hear is they didn't cut anything. Yeah. Unless it, like, might be, I guess, offensive to... Uh, the Hollywood code. <laughs> it's like, well, she can't, she can't have a miscarriage. That's, that's weird and gross. And it's like, no, people have miscarriages all the time. Nope. Nope. It has to be Hollywood wasting disease. <laughs> like, okay, fine. Fine. Do that. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think a six is a pretty solid, is a pretty solid score for this because it's generally like a pretty mediocre movie with some moments of really good acting or I would say, like, some actors who are just really good. Like, W.C. Fields is excellent as Mr. Micawber. He's not in the movie that much. Yeah. Roland Young as Uriah Heep is exactly what you would want from that character. But again, he only has, like, everybody has cameos other than David Copperfield. Yeah. And, like, kind of the aunt. That, like, everybody else gets, like, three scenes. Yeah. Max. And so, I I don't know, I don't watch this movie. It's too long. And if you're going to do that, it's like it's both too long and too short. Because it's like it's too long as a movie and also maybe do this as like a like season of masterpiece theater, you know? Like, really give some of those subplots some room to breathe if you're going to do them. Yeah, I mean, it was a serialized novel. It should be a serialized production. And like, the way that like this is really famous source material goes both ways is like, there have been a lot of adaptations of David Copperfield. You don't have to stick to this one and don't is, is my advice. Uh, yeah, there's actually one that is coming out next, next year. 
I am not shocked. I mean, how how could you be? But Dev Patel is playing David Copperfield, and Tilda Swinton is playing his... Playing the aunt? Yeah, is playing the aunt. That's great. With Ben Wishaw as Uriah Heep. Okay, yeah, watch this. Watch this. Uh. Yeah. Uh, go, go and see this movie. Gwendolyn Christie is in it. Peter Capaldi is Mr. Micawber. This movie is going to be amazing. Yeah, this is going to rule. And I'll say this, like the cast list for this adaption of David Copperfield is half the length of the cast list for the one that we watched for this week's podcast. Oh, thank God. They actually cut some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a 2000 adaptation with Hugh Dancy as David Copperfield, which I feel like that is the most perfect casting I've ever heard of in my entire life. Yeah. Did you, it, this is actually like totally not podcast business. Did you read the super fascinating thing about the good place trying to learn about moral particularism by asking Hugh Dancy because Hugh Dancy's dad is actually the philosopher who has written the biggest uh, te- like book on moral particularism? Are you, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> But he's he's still alive. Why didn't they just ask Jonathan Dancy? I, I, well, I think they were, like, trying to, but the easiest way they could do that was, like, Hollywood schmooze connecting, fig, like, friend of a friend talking to Hugh Dancy. <laughs> um... Who on that show knows Hugh Dancy is what I wanna is what I wanna figure out here. I think that I think the story is that the um shit, I just can't remember names anymore. They're all gone, Susan. All the names. You, you're sick. It's fine. But the the executive producer. Oh, okay. Who also does Brooklyn Nine Nine and uh, was on Parks and Rec. His wife actually was working on a production with Hugh Dancy's wife. Who is Claire Danes. Who is Claire Danes. Yeah. Right. Because I... Because you can't remember names right now. Oh, well, because I can't remember names right now, but I can remember that, like, I was doing... That Kevin Bacon-esque, I was doing my Mary Louise Parker Claire Danes story of how I can never truly forgive Claire Danes for for stealing uh, Mary Louise Parker's husband even though that was like a bajillion years ago. And also I have no, I'd never met any of those people and don't know how they're like, how that actually worked out in real life. Also like, let's kind of blame the dude. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Him too. He's just not part of this dumb anecdote that has nothing to do with the movie we're supposed to be talking about. (laughs) Even, even like, (laughs) even vaguely. Uh, Anyway, that is my Hugh Dancy story. Based on you mentioning the 2000 adaptation of this film, um, that's five minutes of great podcasting. What are we watching next week? This is the good stuff, man. <laughs> this is the stuff people are here for, is us talking about random crap. Yeah. The 1999 film where Bob Hoskins plays Mr. Macabre, and Maggie Smith is in it, and... Also, Daniel Radcliffe is David is little David Copperfield. Ian McKellen's in it. Who's Ian McKellen? Mr. Creakle, and I have no idea who that is. <laughs> At all. With a gun to my head, I could not tell you who Mr. Creakle is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know how my brain is working today, so I definitely don't remember yes. who Mr. Kriegel is. But Maggie Smith is Betsy Trotwood, the aunt, and she was born to play that role. It's like... 
I'm just imagining Charles Dickens writing a Maggie Smith type next to her name in like 1874 or whatever. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. The 1993 film stars Julian Lennon as David Copperfield. I wish it starred Thomas Lennon, but that's fine. I mean, I feel like casting John Lennon's unloved son as David Copperfield is kind of a little on the nose. <laughs> like, a, Fuck, Howie Mandel is in that one? This is so... <laughs> so yeah, there's a bunch of places where you could watch an adaptation of David Copperfield if you really wanted to. This is not the one to go for. Yeah. So next week, we are watching Ruggles of Red Gap. Which I don't even know. Podcast crossover, podcast I've been listening to a lot lately, is Punch Up the Jam, which I think I mentioned last week in the let's just talk about anything but this movie segment that was the whole podcast. <laughs> but one of the things that Demia Dijewebe does in that podcast a lot is a running joke where he tries to extend out how long ago Rugrats was to see if you'll notice, and has now gotten to, like, can't believe Rugrats was 80 years ago. <laughs> and I feel like Ruggles of Red Gap in my brain, in, like, my head canon, is the, like, 80 years ago version of Rugrats. It's like the... Rugrats was based upon it somehow. I mean, yeah, I, I believe this, and will not read the Wikipedia article to disillusion myself before watching the movie. <laughs> so tune in next week. When we watch the source material for Rugrat. <laughs> oh yeah, Charles Lawton plays Tommy Pickles. That's weird. This is all working out. And Roland Young is in it, so he obviously plays Chucky, right? He's very good at long suffering, and that Yeah. That is That's Uriah Heep, Mitzi's long suffering wife, and Chucky from Rugrats. <laughs> Uh, until then, this uh, this was a movie. Yeah, this was a movie. This was a film adaptation of a novel. Which makes it a movie. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.